think especially in Malaysia, you know, all these topics, mental health, body image, disability, there are cultural taboos to it, right? We don't talk a lot about it. You know, we sweep it under the rug, mm. and pat yourself on the back, you know, like, oh, you're going to be okay, get over it. That's kind of the language that I grew up with, at least. And I know that a lot of other people from the true complexion community also grew up with. So it's kind of like, how do we switch that and normalize having these conversations and humanize the people who are living with different medical conditions instead of looking at them as disgusting and ugly mm. and a menace and a burden, trying to humanize them and seeing how are we similar instead of focusing on our differences, focusing on our humanness and how our similarities can bond us together. Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018, in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Rosella Majrin is a Malaysian singer, songwriter, voiceover artist and the founder of True Complexion, an online social platform that raises awareness of health conditions, disabilities and body image issues. Born with a birthmark on her face, Rosella grew up with low self-esteem that initially prevented her from pursuing her love of music and performing. Eventually, finding the strength to embrace her passion, her voice can now be heard on countless radio, television, online commercials and corporate videos. Rosella also became the face of IT Cosmetics, with her image featured in Sephora stores in both Singapore and Malaysia. A TEDx speaker and twice nominated for Asia's Independent Music Awards, the Vimas, Rosella is also the first Bornean to be accepted for the Eisenhower Fellowship's Global Programme. She has also been part of the Obama Leader Asia Pacific Programme and received the Woman of the Future Southeast Asia Award in the Arts and Culture category in 2019. I grew up in a small town in Borneo called Kota Kinabalu. And I think it was really difficult for me because, you know, I have a birthmark on my face and being from a small town back in the 80s, no one really knew what it was. I didn't have anyone else who looked like me either that I could kind of look up to as a role model. So I think as a child, you know, I was really timid, really insecure. I was really scared of people. (laughs) So it's kind of funny, right? But, you know, it's ironic that right now I work with people. (laughs) Yeah. When did you start to realize that you, I mean, obviously you knew you had a birthmark on your face, but when did you start to realize that other people didn't? Because I suppose as a child, you're quite resilient, aren't you, to a point. But then I know from my daughter's own nursery, there are children there with disabilities and they're starting to realize and Was that a process for you or was it just from as soon as you knew or as soon as you were interacting with people? I think for me, it was when I was five years old, specifically, you know, I remember this one incident. um, I went on the school bus 
And there were these other two kids speaking in Chinese, not knowing that I understand the language, yeah. right? Because I don't look Chinese. And one of the kids uh, was asking the other one, like, what's wrong with her face? Why is it so red? And I think that was the moment that I was like, oh, okay. I don't look like anyone else. And you know how it is as you get older, you go to school, you interact with more kids. And sometimes with teachers, people start calling you names, you know, you can start getting bullied. And then it just really instills in you that, yeah, you know, I really don't belong. I really look different. And I think that was, uh, yeah, I think as early as five, I realized wow. that, you know, I don't really fit in. And did that go on to affect your academic experience and what you were like in lessons and how you were like with teachers and your fellow pupils did it affect that I think I was just very shy and timid I don't remember being shy and timid when I was younger you know I was always like loving to perform wanting to be on stage but it grew like lesser and lesser as I grew older I think the massive shift was once I became a teenager, once puberty hit, mm. once other girls started, you see all your other friends started having boyfriends and the way you look attraction, you know, that kind of mattered even more to, you know, young girls, right? There was more emphasis on the way you look. Mm. I think that was a shift for me. I noticed myself retreating more, so not participating so much in group activities, not even wanting to show up in school during photo day. You know, every year I would be sick on photo day. (laughs) But it's interesting, though, because you do have a huge passion, clearly, for performance and a love for music and all of these kinds of things. So were you suppressing that? Were you keeping a lid on it? And I know from having heard you talk previously, you were a little bit of a wild child as well. So was there a point when you just ripped the lid off and was like, I'm going for this now, screw you all or whatever, I don't know. Yeah, I think it was like, I used to take jobs that were kind of very safe in the sense, you know, that would keep me behind the desk, you know, like writing, that was my profession for most of my life, right? Mm. And I realized I was so unhappy. It was not something that I liked. Uh, Why am I actually trying to suppress and stop myself from doing what I'm really passionate about because I'm afraid of what people would say of, so I think it wasn't you know other people start doing music when they're younger but for me I was like 27 when I started it was really late but I realized that you know I have to do it for myself not for anyone else and it doesn't matter if I don't really make it really big you know that's not the goal the goal is for me to do what I love and for me to put myself out there and has there been for you a standout moment or maybe a person in particular that you would say is to help mold your interests and set you off to where you are now because it sounds like you were doing a lot like you were saying just now you were doing more written vocations more kind of isolated maybe occupations and then doing what you are doing now which would be obviously lovely to hear more about that too but was there a person or a moment that flicked that switch for you? Uh, for me, I think, like you mentioned earlier, I think with a lot of people who are struggling with a lot of pain, that they're burying inside, that they're not releasing out, it manifests physically in different ways. It can be addiction, eating disorders, whatever it is, right? Anger, overworking, and manifests in just so many different ways. And I was actually in my 20s, I was on a downhill spiral. Mm. And it wasn't until 
my 27th birthday that I actually kind of hit rock bottom because I ended up the next morning in the doctor's office because I had alcohol poisoning. It was that bad. So I think it was that moment that it hit me that if I don't do something to change, what is my life going to look like in the future? Am I going to end up killing myself, right? Mm. Uh, and I had a really good friend back then, Siva, who kind of threw an intervention, you know. <laughs> uh, my birthday is on the 29th of December. And he was saying, you know what? This New Year's, we're going to have a sober New Year's Eve. So that was the moment that I pivoted in a sense. Yeah, I started learning to discover myself and trying to heal my relationship with myself and my body. And do you think you'd gotten to that point because of all the issues and pressures and repression within yourself that had all led to like that moment which is probably you like you said the rock bottom you know where else do you go from there other than being quite seriously ill do you think it was a result of everything that had led up to that point I think it was yeah definitely a result of all the pressure that I got from everyone and I guess the you know it, it was not physical but it was like emotional and a mental pressure at the same time because I didn't know how to release it because I didn't know how to reach out to someone and speak with them right and tell anyone what I was going through everything just bottled up it's, mm. it's like a bomb right it just exploded mm. right? like after a pressure. while yeah the pressure like the time keeps ticking and then you know one day it just like exploded um, and it made me realize, like, yeah, if I really don't do something about it, what's going to happen? So you have a sober New Year's Eve. And where do you go from there? Because where you are now, you know, that was a shadow of your former self. But I'm assuming there were such a lot of really instrumental steps on your road to getting to where you are now. And tell us a lot more about True Complexion as well. Uh, for me, you know, it was a really long process and journey of a lot of hard work, right? Because I think a lot of times when you want to make change, you've got to take uncomfortable action, do things mm. that you've never done before. And for me, it was like trying out different therapy, just making sure that I was surrounded by good people, really working on my craft, you know, focusing on music. Um, how do I develop that? Like using that as, I guess, a meditative tool, a tool for me to just get everything out so if you hear my music from way back when it was really really <laughs> depressing really getting dark. it all out all out of your system yeah and then I think like after I started performing it made me realize that hey maybe I can use my voice for something bigger than just myself you know because music and singing that was really for me right but what if I could create a platform that could celebrate other people or highlight other people who are or who have been going through similar struggles because I didn't have that community when I was growing up I didn't have anyone who really understood me people I could talk to so I wanted to create a platform I guess kind of for my younger self in that sense so that other people who are at that point in their life right now that they could have that support they could have a sense of community that they could be heard and seen instead of misunderstood because of their differences. And it's a community that advocates for diversity, inclusivity, body acceptance. Might you say all the things perhaps you wanted when you were growing up and didn't have or didn't know where to go to get that? 
Yeah, because I think especially in Malaysia, you know, all these topics, mental health, body image, disability, there are cultural taboos to it, right? We don't talk a lot about it. You know, we sweep it under the rug, mm. um, pat yourself on the back, you know, like, oh, you're going to be okay, get over it. That's kind of the language that I grew up with, at least. And I know that a lot of other people from the true complexion community also grew up with. So it's kind of like, how do we switch that and normalize having these conversations and humanize the people who are living with different medical conditions instead of looking at them as disgusting and ugly mm. and a menace and a burden, trying to humanize them and seeing how are we similar instead of focusing on our differences, focusing on our humanness and how our similarities can bond us together. Yeah, you say breaking down the stigma so that it becomes part of normal day-to-day conversation and it's not something that's held up to be stared at or you know whatever else it is that people kind of rub off from but I know that obviously you have received an awful lot of accolades and have achieved so much since that moment in your late 20s including awards from the Obama Leader Asia Pacific Program and the Eisenhower Global Fellow Program obviously I'm talking to you because you have a Women of the Future Award too but For you, across all the work that you've done that's got you to this point, is there any one thing in particular that stands out for you or that you're particularly proud of? I think for me, it's um, I don't kind of look at things individually as a collective. I think me being able to engage with the community every day is really meaningful to me. But, you know, if I have to choose one moment, you know, I was in the It Cosmetics beauty campaign. So my face without makeup and with makeup was actually in Sephora outlets in Singapore and Malaysia. So I think for me, you know, I always hated walking into one of those kind of stores when I was younger, right? Because automatically I'll be the target like, oh, this is the person we got to sell to. Mm. And it was always a tactic of making me insecure so that I purchased something. So I felt that moment was... Um, I don't know, like if other women or other young people walk into that doors and they see my face and they see that it's okay to be in an ad internationally and not have any makeup on your face and celebrate that, maybe that will be okay for me to accept myself as well. How did it feel when you first saw that image or that campaign when you saw the first shot or you walked into a store and you saw your own face? How did that make you feel? It felt surreal, but at the same time, I think I've also been that kind of person who, um, I think because of the way that I grew up, I have difficulties accepting compliments or acknowledging myself for my achievements. So it's kind of like, yeah, okay, done. Next one, next one. You know? <laughs> You're kind of just going through it. So I don't think at that moment, like it didn't yeah. sink in. But now when I look back and I'm like, wow, I mean, if I think of my five-year-old self and what she would say to me today, she'd be like, girl, you made me proud. (laughs) Or to the girls on the bus that said it, were whispering, exactly. I think it's a lot to be said for recognition and acceptance, but more from your own point of view, I guess. But also, I was interested to know a bit more about the work that you did do with the Obamas and the Eisenhower Awards and things like that. Was that as a result of the work that you were doing or did they reach out to you? How did you engage with them and what was that like for you? 
So um, those two programs for the Eisenhower Fellowship Program, I was actually in the US for about three months. Half of it was spending time with my sister and half of it was being in the programs where we met with different people who are in the same field doing work in diversity and inclusion, kind of like learning from what they've done and seeing how I can bring that back home and adapt it to the Malaysian context. And, you know, I got to meet a lot of amazing people, including Seth Godin, which is a really amazing author. And then for the Obama program, it was a two weeks program that was conducted in Malaysia. So it was like really wonderful. So it's a really intensive, you know, you're there with a uh, I think for the Obama one, there's like 200 other participants from all over the region. And it was just really intensive, us coming together and seeing how we can work together, collaborate, and just learning and growing and seeing how we can expand what we're doing. It was really, really two fun experiences. And building your own networks and, like you say, sharing knowledge, which brings me nicely on to how you first heard about the Women of the Future program and how you've been involved with them since that? So I was actually, I did a podcast series with this NGO called Global Entrepreneurship Movement. So we did a series about business owners with disabilities. And the producer actually introduced me to Women of the Future. Um, At that time, I was like, what is this? I've never heard of this before. (laughs) Uh, And she was like, can I nominate you for this? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Okay. And I didn't expect anything out of it at all. But I guess, yeah, I guess they saw my potential. And it's been a really wonderful journey working with Women of the Future. Uh, I come on board sometimes to do like speaking engagements. And for me, you know, I love working with young girls and young women just because I was there and I know how hard it is to struggle and be insecure and not knowing what's my future going to look like, what I'm going to do. And I think that's why I really love the platform and what it does. I have some quick fire questions for you sure. just to finish. So here we go. <laughs> what would you describe as your greatest success? Starting True Complexion. And your greatest failure? Oh, not doing it early enough. (laughs) (laughs) Do you genuinely wish that you had started it earlier? You think you would have been in the right frame of mind to do that as well? It sounds very much like you had to get to that point organically almost. Yeah, Yeah. true. But I think, you know, at the same time, it's just sometimes the age clock is ticking as well. It's freaking (laughs) out like, "Ah." I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Okay. The mantra of women of the future is kindness and collaboration. What does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life? For me, number one, I feel like most of us understand how to be kind to other people, but we don't know how to be kind to ourselves. Mm. We treat ourselves so differently from the way we treat other people. So for me, especially, was learning how to be kind to myself, how to be gentle, how to take care of myself. I think also people always say to me, talk to yourself as you would do a friend. Like if you're Mm -hmm. being very negative or you're on a negative spiral for whatever reason, would you say the things that are running through your head to your best friend or to anybody really? You wouldn't, would you? It's just being, like you say, just being mindful and present and aware of how these things can affect us and how words can affect us, right? Yeah, we're like the most harsh to ourselves. So I think it's unlearning that. And how about collaboration for you? Collaboration for me, 
I really love working with people now, you know, from being that shy girl right now, I'm always looking for opportunities to collaborate, to speak, to just engage with other people and hopefully inspire them to want to make a change or hopefully just give them a little hope that if I can do it, that anybody can really. Is there anything that scares you? Uh, I think probably death, not really mine, but you know, the idea of like losing my family, especially during this pandemic, this really scary time that we're living in. Uh, I'm constantly worried about, about my parents. I don't live with them, you know. I haven't seen them for two years because we're on lockdown. So yeah, that really scares me. How have you managed the pandemic? What has it been like for you? You said there that you've not seen your parents. Has it been a real struggle or are there learnings that you've come across that you're hoping that we all carry forward as we move on? I think for me, last year, everything just slowed down a little bit. So I just allowed myself to get into that groove as well. And then this year for me, it's kind of like coming back and say, okay, what else can I do? I think last year, a lot of us were waiting for things to get better, to shift, mm. to go back to what it was. But coming into this year, most of us know that the likelihood of that happening is very, very slim. So how do we adapt to the world as it is right now? So how do we create more online programs, for example? Mm. Um, how do we, yeah, because like I work with communities, right? So I'm always at events seeing people face to face, showing parties and gatherings with, with the community, but now all of that's not possible. So for me, it was like really trying to pivot my shift, my mind and my focus. Did it allow you to take stock as well? Because I think what we're all quite guilty of is just literally rumbling into the next thing and not really taking a good look at where we are within our life, our career, with our families. And like you say, everything slowed down, didn't it? So did it give you that opportunity as well to just reflect a little bit on where you were and what you wanted and where you were going? Yeah, I think think the pandemic has changed things for everyone. One of my good friends, he always says, if the pandemic hasn't made you look at your life and what's going wrong and what's going right, then you have to ask yourself some questions, right? (laughs) Because it definitely makes you reflect on what's important to you I think for me that was my focus what is important to me and how could I pivot my focus to that and what's left on your to-do list for today we can start with today and then wherever it takes us well today uh, I need to finish a pitch for a client because you know I, I do provide like programs for um, diversity and inclusion for different um, organizations so that's something that I'm working on right now as well. So that's on today's list. <laughs> <laughs> and for the future? And I think for the future, you know, I really want to start my own program as well under True Complexion. Like we've done a lot of events and stuff, but I kind of want to narrow down to doing a program for women specifically and young girls mm. uh, regarding body image issues, talking about mental health, you know, learning how to get out of that negative space and learning the tools and techniques that you can use daily so you can actually create long-term changes in your life. And will you be doing more performing, more singing and things like that? Is that part and parcel of what you're doing? 
Uh, right now, music has been on hold uh, because you know studios have been closed. Mm. Events are totally out of the question. You know, even though a couple of events have moved online, it's yeah. not the same, right? Because I can't even be in the same room with my band, for example. Oh wow! Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm like putting it on a hold for this year, but hopefully next year, yeah, we'll have more opportunities to come back to it. Thank you so much, Rosella. It's been enormously inspiring to talk to you i've heard you speak before and it's brilliant just to get a bit more under the skin of you and what you do and how phenomenal you are in what you're doing so thank you very much for taking the time thank you so much for having me it was a pleasure Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Women of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.